it again tonight. It's another test to confirm our salvation. Another test to know if we have eternal life. And John presents this test in the text. It's a very tricky text. And he does it by showing us two sides of the spectrum. And listen, this text is very hard for us today. We are all sinners. And John is going to draw a fine line in the sand. And he's showing us if we are for God or if we are not for God. John is going to show you which side of the line you are on. The side of righteousness or the side of wickedness. Are you one that belongs to God or one that belongs to the devil? And yes, it is very harsh. It's blatant. But we must know that there are two sides. And you can only be on one of them. There is no in-between. It's tough, but it's clear as can be, especially in the text. So getting into verse 3, it says, And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. So again, we talked about there being two sides, and John is quickly going to the side of God. What one on the side of God attempts to do. We can look at this verse and then look at ourselves. And then we could use it to look upon our own salvation. And we do this by seeing if we are trying to purify ourselves. But not only that, to purify ourselves like Christ. Think about it. Our Lord and Savior was the definition of purity. And we have to remember that John, the author of this epistle, has witnessed. What he has witnessed? He witnessed the Son of God living a perfect life in a dirty world. He witnessed Christ stoop down and pick up little children in his arms. He witnessed Christ reach out and touch lepers and heal them. He witnessed him feed a hungry multitude and to save a wedding feast. He witnessed him comfort a ruler whose child was sick to death. And he congratulated a woman who reached out for his garment and searched for healing. John also witnessed Christ face the demoniac who had a legion of evil spirits in him. He witnessed Jesus facing his foes with courage. He wept with those who wept and he rejoiced with those who rejoiced. John saw Jesus live a perfect life in an unperfect world. He never saw Jesus tell a lie or back away from the truth. He never saw Jesus exhibit anything but love. Why? Because Jesus Christ was pure, perfect, and holy. And if we look back to verse 2, Beloved, now we are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. And we shall see him as he is. Looking at this verse, we know he is to come again. This is our hope. That Christ will return. The second coming of Christ alone should have a good purifying effect upon a Christian's life. Revelations 22.12 says, And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. 
This gives every believing Christian a motivation to purify themselves and to make themselves as perfect as possible so they can be like that for Christ's return. The thought of meeting Christ face to face should drive us to be as pure as we can be. To purify ourselves. We don't want to arrive at that day ashamed. We already have enough to be ashamed about. The true Christian will and should clean up their act before the day of Christ's return. Then we look at verse 4. Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law. For sin is the transgression of the law. So the Greek word here for committeth is poeo. And this means to make or do but doing it in a manner of abiding and continuing. That will be our key word here. Especially since we know that belief and repentance will cleanse. So if we look at this verse, it's saying that all those who committeth or abide or continue in sin, this is the person who stays in sin, who continuously is trying to get better in sin. It's a person who abides in sin abides in lawlessness. And we see here, you see sin and lawlessness together. They correlate with one another. And John is now showing us the devil side of the coin. But there's another side to the coin as well that John talks about in this text. And it's those that abide in righteousness. But the key word is those who abide in sin, abiding in lawlessness because sin is lawlessness. And those that abide in sin are breakers and violators of the law. And they will stand guilty before God because of it. Now let's ask ourselves, what law is he talking about? It isn't our country's laws, it isn't our local laws, it isn't our civil law. But it's the moral law. The moral law that's provided in the Bible. In the Old Testament. The Ten Commandments. It's what our holy book says. This was the message from the beginning. And what this verse is saying is that we are guilty of the moral law if we abide and continue in sin. We become the lawbreakers and the violators. And we become worthy of the sentence of death and an eternity in the lake of fire. But we must know, this is for those who abide in sin, who live in sin, who practice and refine their skills in sin. It's from those who don't turn from it, but thrive in it. And this is key going forward. It's for those who live the lifestyle of sin. John is not bringing up those who committed a sin. We've all committed a sin. We commit a sin every day. But he's bringing up those whose lifestyle goes against God and goes against Christ. So why is John telling us this? John is telling us this because this was a problem of the early church as well as it's a problem today. It's because of people who come into the church but live the way that they wanted to. It's the people who proclaim Christ, yet they are the ones who pick and choose what they want, and whenever they don't want, they just throw away and do it the way they want to do it. 
Not the way God wanted them to do it. They do it their way. And we know that man's way is wickedness. And John is refuting and battling it right here. As we should be doing it as well today. We see many churches, many churches that proclaim to be a church of Christ, but yet they practice sin, they abide in sin, they abide in wickedness, they go against the Word of God, they go against His law, and we know from this verse, they are guilty. An eternal judgment hangs over their head if they do not change their ways to the ways of God. There's many different sins it might be. Homosexuality, adultery, etc. And if they stay abiding in these things, they are guilty of the law and they are guilty before God. And remember, it's very important to remember, it's for those who abide in the sin, for those whose lifestyle is sin, not for those who slip up and commit a sin. Then in verse 5, And ye know that He was manifested to take away our sins, and in Him is no sin. Notice what it says. And ye know that He was manifested. We know that He was manifested since He came down from glory and took the form of man. He was of a virgin birth. He put on flesh and blood. Jesus became fully God and fully man. And He did this to be able to sympathize with us and to see what we go through. Thus, He could be our sacrificial lamb and taketh away the sins of the world. Even though He was sinless. It says, and you know that He was manifested to take away our sins and in Him is no sin. When we hear that He appeared for us, and He came for us, should make us want to just jump out of our seats with joy, right? Should make us want to praise God and rejoice. And Jesus appeared for many different reasons, but the main reason He appeared was to take away our sin, our sin, our trash, our garbage. Think about that. He came down from the glory of heaven to take out the trash. No one likes to take out the trash, right? At work, we have this department trash can, and I can't seem to get a single person to take it out because it's a dirty job. It's a job no one wants to do. So think about this. Our Lord and Savior came down from glorious heaven and he had to take out the trash of believers to get rid of our dirt, our disgust. We have a lot of trash as well. Our trash is filthy. It's, it's gross. Think about the worst smell and trash and think about it ten times worse. Yet the Creator of this earth, the Son of God, came down from heaven to do it for us. To take out the trash that we wouldn't nor couldn't take out ourselves. Jesus was the only one able to take it out. Why? Because He had no sin. Jesus was perfect and righteous. Thus, His sinlessness swallowed up the sin of the believer. 
His, his perfection swallowed up our imperfection. His righteousness swallowed up our unrighteousness. Jesus being the only perfect one was the only one able to do it. And He came to do it on our account. John is telling us in this text why and how this happened. And John is putting it in the text so we specifically remember that it was our great Savior who made this possible and this great sacrifice for us. Christ did it all for us and took out our trash. Then in verse 6, Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen, neither known him. Initially, we read this and we get the, the notion of perfection. That we have to be perfect. But that's not what this verse is saying here. We have to look back to where I was going at with verse 4. Everyone who committeth sin or abides in it is guilty of the law. So it has that same effect here in verse 6. As it says, Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. We must know that no one who truly abides in Christ can abide in sin. They can't live a lifestyle of sin. They can't practice a sin's nature day in and day out. You can't be this way if you truly abide in our Lord and Savior because no one abides in sin, sees Him, or knows Him. Again, abiding is the key word because we all sin. But no one who abides in sin abides in Christ. But why? Because you can't. You're in company with Christ. You're in company with the Son of God. We must know this, that we cannot keep living the sinning lifestyle if we are children of God. Especially since we know God is abiding in us. If we did this, it would be contrary to living a lifestyle to Christ. Living contrary way to Christ. So again, John is drawing the line in the sand. Two sides. And you can only be on one of them. You either abide in sin and have a lifestyle in sin, or you abide in Christ and live your life like Christ. You can't and won't keep sinning if you abide in Christ. Why? He becomes the Lord of your life. And our lifestyles change to agree with Christ to live like He did on earth, that we have the Holy Spirit convicting us daily. And that is what keeps us abiding in Christ. And it will be evident. People will be able to tell if you abide in Christ. It says, Whosoever abideth in Him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen Him, neither known Him. Remember, this does not mean we don't mess up does not mean we have to be perfect. But it's talking about our lifestyle. The way we live. Because as verse 6 points out, whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. These are the people who are spiritually dead. Dead spiritually. Their eyes are closed. They're blind and cannot see. As Ephesians 2.1 says, and you have he quickened who are dead in trespasses and sins. They are spiritually dead and have not seen 
Christ nor known them. This could be tough. Even as Christians, this is tough. We all know all sorts of people who we've grown likings to. And we know that their lifestyle is a lifestyle of sin. We know that they're spiritually dead. That they are blind. That they are the, on the bad line of that sand, of the line drawn in the sand by John. That those who abide in the lifestyle of sin, even if they proclaim Christianity, there's many people that create, proclaim Christianity yet are on the wrong side of the line. They have not known the Lord, they have not seen the Lord, and they do not belong to the Lord. This is what shows us what side of the sand we are on, whether they are for righteousness or unrighteousness, whether they abide in Christ or abide in sin. And this even applies to those we love. They abide in sin, they are lost, and they do not know our Lord and Savior. Yes, it's tough to swallow. It's tough to ponder on because we all likely have someone in our lives who we love that are living a lifestyle of sin. And although what I'm saying is harsh, it's true. It's what John is saying right here. There are also three things we consider when looking at these people, though, the basic one, of course, is that they are lost. They have not seen our Savior nor known their Savior. Second, they could be backslidden. And we know that if a Christian is backslidden, they will be redeemed. You cannot lose your salvation. And thirdly, they are just practicing bad theology or going on a route that is unbiblical. These people that are in sin lifestyle usually fit into one of these three categories. It's everywhere. The people I know, it's hard for me sometimes, but I can't reject because it's true. It's the Word of God. Verse 7, Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doth righteousness is righteous even as he is righteous. Remember, when talking about little children, he is talking to all those in the church. And this is a very simple concept we're going to see. It's the imputation of Christ's righteousness upon the believer. Those with the lifestyle of Christ are righteous. Those who abide in Christ are righteous. And we know them by their righteous deeds. And their righteous deeds is what they practice is told in John 6.29. When Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that ye believeth on him who he hath sent. The righteous deed is to believe upon him. And believe upon him causes us to abide and live the lifestyle of Christ. And again, this is contrary to those who proclaim the belief of Christ, yet live a lifestyle that better suits sin and wickedness. Then verse 8, He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Again, John is laying it down real harshly. Those who practice and abide in sin are of the devil. That is who their father is. John is pointing out that there are lots of people who speak of God, yet they work for the devil. <laughs> they are people that proclaim God to be their father, yet their true father is the devil. Again, a line being drawn in the sand by John. 
and that your father is either God or Satan. No in-between. You can't have two fathers. Why? Because they're contrary to one another. You cannot be a son of God while living a sinful and devilish lifestyle. When you abide in sin, you abide in Satan and his works, and you do not know God. It's cut and dry. It's harsh, but true doctrine. It's laid out by John. And those who abide in unrighteousness and sin do not have remorse for the things of God. They are workers for the world and workers for Satan himself. They are sons of the devil. And not only that, this is another reason why Christ came to earth as well. To destroy these works. To stop the devil on his tracks. And to provide every Christian and God the ultimate victory. The great victory. The victory that cannot be overturned. This should be an eye-opener for us as Christians and make us to live a better lifestyle for Christ. Then in verse 9, Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. We see that word, committeth, again. Those who abide in God cannot abide in sin. Again, the text is laying it out two sides. You can only be on one. It's saying that even for those who proclaim God but live a lifestyle of sin and abide in sin, that they are not truly sons of God. They're not born of God. It's obvious. And it's the Word of God. Even if we don't like it, even if we don't want it to be true, even if our flesh tells us, wow, that's harsh. It's the Word of God written down by John the Apostle and inspired by the Holy Spirit. They're not my words. They're God's words. And again, it's tough. We all know people in this state, people we love, in a state of proclaiming God yet living for wickedness. And they're not saved, as the text says. It says, Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. It goes the other way around as well, that those who are born of God and live a lifestyle of God cannot live a lifestyle of sin. Why? They are children of God. We have our sins washed away. We have the Holy Spirit abiding in us, which is causing us to abide in Christ and stay away from the lifestyle. It's convicting us daily. And this seals us to the day of redemption. It can't be tarnished. It can't be stained. It can't be taken. Why? We've been born again. We are sons of God. Finally, in verse 10, it says, In this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil, whosoever doth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. The children of God are manifest and made apparent. We can see who they are. We can discern and tell which side of the line that they are on. And it's the same for the children of the devil as well. They are manifested and shown as well. They're discernible. We can see them on the other side. It says, in the, 
In this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. Whosoever doth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. The children, those who practice righteousness are of God. And we gain that righteousness through the belief upon Christ, as John 6 said. And those that are unrighteous and live that way are not of God. Cut and dry. And we must see this so we can stop trying to justify the lifestyles of what could be ourselves or could be our loved ones. It's a lifestyle away from God. There's no justification there. Including, let's remember, 1 John is an evaluation of our own salvation. So again, let's evaluate our salvation here today. Let's ask ourselves, which side of the line are you on? Which side? It's important to know which side, and it's important to know that you can only be on one of the two sides. There are people that try to be on both sides or claim to be on one but practice the other. But we must be able to discern this. People are trying to deceive you out there. But the good part is, is God manifests it to the believer. Let's go home and make sure we're not, A, deceiving ourselves, and then let's make sure we're not being deceived by others. And if you do see the deception, God has given you a blessing. So you could get it right. You could get it fixed here today. Or you could help a loved one get it fixed. You could preach the gospel to them. Show them what our Lord has done. So let's use this text to see where we are and where others are and not be deceived by the world. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, once again, we thank you. Lord, you have blessed us greatly for this opportunity to be here, Lord, and to even get to read your word, Lord. And Lord, help us to not be deceived in this world and help us to be valiant soldiers for you and to preach the gospel to all those who we could discern as lost so that we could save as many as is in your will. Lord, uh, be with Sister Michelle's brother, Ted, as he entered into the hospital. And Lord, be with all those who are sick and ill. Lord, bless us all. We ask this in Jesus' name.